0: You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia discuss the primary care issues that are on their mind and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and I'm here today with Dr. Mamata Senthil, a fellow in the emergency department at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia as well. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Katie. Great, so I'm gonna start with some background. We're gonna talk about carbon monoxide today. And each winter we see devastating headlines about families and pets who were sickened or killed by carbon monoxide poisoning after simply trying to heat their homes or cook food. While primary care clinicians are not often diagnosing or treating carbon monoxide poisoning, we should be discussing prevention with all families. So we're gonna dive right in. My first question for you, Dr. Senthil, is what is carbon monoxide and where is it found?
1: So carbon monoxide, which we often refer to as a silent killer um, because the gas itself is colorless, odorless, tasteless, and non-irritating. And because of these properties, it makes it very difficult to detect and can be lethal. Carbon monoxide can be released from many household heaters and appliances, making it particularly prevalent during the winter months. Some common sources of carbon monoxide include furnaces or boilers, gas stoves, ovens, and wood-burning fireplaces, wood stoves, water heaters, clothes dryers, power generators, and automobile exhaust. Great, thanks. That's a long list of things that most people have in their houses. Yes, and there's plenty more um, on that list.
0: You've already talked to us about a lot of ways we can prevent carbon monoxide poisoning. Are there any other ways that you can think of that people can prevent this exposure in their home?
1: Well, the first thing to do is to ensure that a carbon monoxide alarm is installed in the home with working batteries and that the batteries are replaced yearly. Oftentimes, people forget to replace their batteries and ignore the beeping that's going on. Um, Like we said before, in general, you don't want to use appliances intended for outdoor use inside the home. You want to place these generators as far from the home as possible, and you don't want to run or idle your vehicle in an attached garage. Like I said, with these beeping alarms, Um, Oftentimes people mistake them, um, the beeping from a carbon monoxide monitor, as batteries being low. But it could also be um, that your carbon monoxide detector is actually detecting carbon monoxide in the home. So if the detector alarms, have everyone in the home, including pets, evacuate the building and call 911.
0: Great. And so what are the most common symptoms of carbon monoxide poisoning? How would I know that I or someone I know or a patient had carbon monoxide poisoning?
1: So, you know, while patients with more clinically significant symptoms from carbon monoxide poisoning often present to the ED, subtle carbon monoxide poisoning can present to primary care, and so it should always be considered when a child presents with new headaches during the fall or winter when furnaces go on. So carbon monoxide often causes symptoms that mimic the flu, such as headache, nausea, vomiting, shortness of breath, and fatigue. It can cause visual disturbances and difficulty concentrating. And unrecognized symptoms can ultimately lead to coma, respiratory failure, and death, which is why people are most at risk when sleeping. One of the things that we say to distinguish carbon monoxide from flu is to see if other family members are affected. Carbon monoxide poisoning can simultaneously affect multiple family members and or family pets, all at once, as opposed to flu, where usually one person falls ill and then subsequent family members get sick. Additionally, with carbon monoxide poisoning, there's an improvement in symptoms when away from the house, and usually a lack of fevers, which also helps it distinguish from flu. Um, The other thing to notice with carbon monoxide poisoning are that the smallest members of the house are often the most affected, so small children and pets.
0: So why are really young children, and particularly newborns, at
1: the highest risk? So newborns are at a higher risk due to the fact that they carry a larger percentage of fetal hemoglobin in their blood, which has a 10 to 15 percent higher affinity for carbon monoxide than adult hemoglobin. And this, in turn, causes increased tissue hypoxia at similar carboxyhemoglobin levels. Hmm. All right, help me keep my
0: pathophysiology textbook on the shelf and tell me a little bit about carbon monoxide poisoning
1: pathophysiology. So when inhaled, carbon monoxide binds more strongly to hemoglobin in your red blood cells than oxygen, forming a compound called carboxyhemoglobin. In fact, the affinity of carbon monoxide to hemoglobin is 200 times that of oxygen. This then in turn reduces the amount of oxygen in the blood and the amount of oxygen delivered to all of your vital organs. Additionally, carbon monoxide creates inflammation in the body and can injure the smallest blood vessels, including the brain, which can cause neurological sequelae to carbon monoxide poisoning. Other things to consider are that individuals with higher metabolic rates and respiratory rates are more likely to be affected by carbon monoxide.
0: And so when you're in the emergency department, how are you diagnosing someone with carbon monoxide poisoning?
1: So the diagnosis of carbon monoxide poisoning can be made by measuring the amount of this carboxyhemoglobin in your blood. And this can be done using a peripheral co-oximeter, which is a non-invasive method, or by analyzing a sample of blood in the lab to determine the amount of carboxyhemoglobin in the blood.
0: Okay. And so this is
1: all very scary stuff that we're talking about, but how common is it? So according to the CDC, each year more than 400 Americans die from unintentional carbon monoxide poisoning. Not linked to fires, which includes 20,000 visits to the emergency room and more than 4,000 individuals that are hospitalized. Now, since Penn has the region's most active hyperbaric chamber, we do treat a large number of these kids here at CHOP. Hmm. That's interesting. So, tell me, um, we're going to jump ahead a little bit
0: to talking about treatment since you mentioned hyperbaric chamber. So, how do you treat carbon
1: monoxide poisoning? The most important step is to remove the person from the source of the carbon monoxide. If the individual is not breathing, CPR should be immediately initiated, and placement of the individual on a 100% non-rebreather oxygen mask can help shorten the half-life of carbon monoxide and hasten the displacement of carbon monoxide from hemoglobin. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy is also used for carbon monoxide poisoning and can reduce the half-life of carbon monoxide even more quickly than 100% oxygen. Usually, hyperbaric oxygen is, usually, is reserved for those patients with evidence of serious intoxication, such as being unconscious no matter how long, neurologic signs, or severe acidosis. If it's indicated, diving in the hyperbaric chamber usually lasts anywhere from 60 to 100 minutes and sometimes requires multiple treatments.
0: I remember seeing some of those patients being treated in residency, and it's scary, but it's also... Um, Really good to know that we have that resource available to our patients here at CHOP and PEN. Absolutely. So, much of the news coverage that we see about carbon monoxide poisoning follows natural disasters such as hurricanes, floods, and blizzards. When power outages occur, many people turn to alternative sources of fuel for electricity to cook or heat their homes, or they use generators. Can you explain the danger that may be associated with this, and how can we guide families to safely navigate these difficult situations?
1: So during storms, there are often several power outages that leads to an increased use of these alternative power sources, such as gas power generators, grills, and cooking stoves. The biggest problem is that people improperly use these appliances, leading to a higher incidence of carbon monoxide poisoning. Additionally, during snowstorms, carbon monoxide can build up due to snow-obstructed exhaust pipes on cars. There are several ways families can prevent these dangers from carbon monoxide. One is to make sure that all furnaces, chimneys, wood stoves, and heaters are checked regularly and in good condition. To also never use barbecue grills or gasoline-powered equipment indoors or in a garage. During these power outages, gasoline-powered generators should only be used outdoors, away from vents or windows, and at least 25 feet from from the home. You also do not want to use gas ovens to heat your home, and avoid sitting in a car with the engine running if deep snow or mud is blocking the exhaust pipe.
0: Great, those are a lot of really great practical tips that we can pass along. We also talked to families about buying carbon monoxide detectors. Where in their home should they place these detectors?
1: So ideally a carbon monoxide detector should be placed in each major area of the house, such as the kitchen, living room, and bedrooms. If there are multiple floors, having a carbon monoxide detector on each floor is also important. Since we are most vulnerable to the effects of carbon monoxide while we're asleep, it's important to have detectors placed near the family bedrooms. Usually carbon monoxide alarms are required to be installed within 15 feet of the entrance of every bedroom or within 15 feet of a bed in sleeping areas where there is no enclosed bedroom. Other areas where a carbon monoxide detector may be helpful include the garage if cars are parked there, in the basement where the furnace is located, or in a laundry room where there could be a gas clothes dryer.
0: Are If you're a renter, are landlords legally obligated
1: to supply carbon monoxide detectors in your apartment or home? Well, according to Pennsylvania law, any rental unit that has an attached garage, fossil fuel burning heater, or appliance, or fireplace must have a carbon monoxide detector under the law, or landlords will face fines. Additionally, the City of Philadelphia passed an ordinance requiring owners of all one and two family dwellings and small residential care assisted living facilities to install carbon monoxide detection and alarm devices in their buildings. Great.
0: And I know that I may get some phone calls about carbon monoxide poisoning in primary care and you certainly see them in the emergency department, but I'm sure that the CHOP Poison Control Center probably gets a bulk of these initial phone calls and concerns. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about the Poison Control Center at CHOP and what they do?
1: Sure. So, the Poison Control Center at CHOP is a nonprofit regional poison control services provider, and the center offers a 24 7 hotline staffed by registered nurses and pharmacists with special training in toxicology. They offer information and treatment to the public and healthcare professionals at no charge through the hotline and from educational resources produced by the experts at the Poison Control Center. Really, the goals of the Poison Control Center are to provide this 24 hour, toll free, multilingual hotline as well as educating the public on poisoning prevention and awareness with our extensive library of poison educational materials. We also um, identify new toxic threats and track poisoning epidemics as part of a national surveillance system and advise public health agencies, advocacy groups, government officials, and news media on poisoning-related issues. We do have um, a Facebook page as well as a website to have additional information. And it's important to note that you are able to reach a regional poison control center anywhere in the U.S. by calling 1-800-222-1222.
0: Great. I know that I've used them a lot in my clinic, and I remember using them when I was in the emergency department as a resident, mm-hmm. and they're really an invaluable resource, so I encourage people to use them whenever you have questions. They're
1: absolutely a great resource. If you have any questions at all, there's always someone to answer, even what may seem like a simple question. Great.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me today and for helping explain carbon monoxide poisoning and how we can counsel patients to prevent this and hopefully we won't see many cases of this in the coming year but we feel better prepared after talking with you so thank you so much you're welcome thank you for listening to this episode of primary care perspectives you can download and subscribe to future episodes on itunes or visit chop.edu pcp podcasts for a listing of all episodes I look forward to our next chat.